Welcome back to another podcast from A Passion for Life. My name is Craig Dyer and today I'm greatly looking forward to being in conversation with Tom Heisman. Tom is one of the pastors at Dundonald Church, part of the Co-Mission Network. And Tom, as we'll hear, has particular responsibility for overseeing evangelism strategy and ministries. And we're thrilled to have him also as part of the A Passion for Life team. Now, even more important than those uh, ministry roles, Tom is married to Josie and uh, has three children, Eleanor, Lily, and six-month-old Alfie. Welcome, Tom. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you. How's life, brother? How's the family? Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for having me today. Really good to to be on with you. Um, We are doing all right. It's pretty full on. Our kids are four two and six months so life is life is not at all quiet um we love our children to bits and we're so thankful to god for them Uh, but tired would be one way yeah i would imagine sleep sleep has a certain rarity in in your life (laughs) yes yes so um uh but we're we're enjoying it and we're looking forward to just lockdown easing being able to have people in our home makes a big difference all those things which i know you know everyone's kind of having to face that in different ways but um certainly for us we're we're looking forward to that no, that is great, Tom. And I know you have a, a a busy family life and a busy ministry life. And also you're interested in lots of other things as well. And I was really interested to discover that you and His Royal Highness, the late Prince Philip, had a <laughs> fascination in common, your love of Land Rovers. Is that right? How, how did that originate? Absolutely. Well, actually, funnily enough, Prince Philip, his kind of specialised Land Rover for the funeral was was um, was put together by Foley's, a kind of Land Rover yeah. uh, specialization company that that um, did some work on one that we used to have. So it's there is a bit of a link there. Wow! And we we absolutely we, yeah we grew up loving Land Rovers. Um, we were kind of in the rural part of Essex, and I don't know really. It was kind of in my dad's DNA, I think, and and consequently, as we were kids, you know, there'd always be a Land Rover to trundle around in, and um, wow. Uh, we loved it. Unfortunately, moving to London has kind of meant that I've had to um, let go of that obsession a little bit. Because, so you, you've uh, now upgraded to a Range Rover, then, have you? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, 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 not quite. Um, no, Sadiq Khan isn't quite so keen on Land Rovers no. trundling around so, the city of London. So the, the Chelsea tractors. So, yeah, right. so, so you don't currently own one, is that right? No, no, no. It's my long-term ambition, Craig. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, I might have to just. Um, Wait, wait a while for that. What's their best feature? Their versatility and yeah. that you can just throw them around. That you, know, you don't, you don't yeah. have to be precious about them. Um, we used to go on long off-roading trips as a family to the middle of nowhere, and I mean, it, it kind Crazy. of it fits with my love for the outdoors and being outside. Which again, you might listen to this thing. Why well, don't I see in London? Um, but um, <laughs> well, we'll uh, get to that. Yeah, yeah there's, right. a, there's a there's a plan in that. So robustness and versatility, and they might be they might be themes that that we develop in terms of gospel work as well. Great to hear about that. Now going back, thinking about your early days, Tom, you grew up wonderfully in a, in a Christian home. Whereabouts was that, and what was that like for you? Mm, yeah, so thankful for that. And we, we grew up in um, in Essex, like I said, uh, and I was thankful for for parents who loved the Lord and from an early age you know I remember right from before I can even you know kind of remember sitting around the fa- family dinner table and, and reading the bible together hearing bible stories taught um and just that being such a formative part of our lives right from the get-go not just kind of outsourcing our discipleship and uh, as, as children to the local church but wanting to try and invest in that in, in the context of a local family home which we were so thankful for 
Um, so that was certainly formative for us growing Amazing. up, and then being being involved in a uh, a little FIC church in um, in Essex. That's fantastic. And was that when you came to know the Lord for yourself? Was it in these early days? It was. I think. I think. Um, I mean, it's worth saying in terms of the kind of framing of where I've come from. Um, my parents would have got divorced when I was uh, about ten, and that was a hugely kind of formative. Looking back on kind of my own experience of, of coming to faith obviously incredibly difficult for me and my brothers in various ways but actually looking back on it through it God absolutely used that I think to open my eyes to the reality of sin um to the to the necessity of of personal faith it wasn't you know kind of my, my faith in the Lord Jesus wasn't something that I could just kind of hold on to the coattails of my parents anymore um, but it was something I really need to explore for myself um but also just now looking back in hindsight just the sweetness of God's grace both my parents and God's kindness are uh, walking closely with the Lord, uh, uh, remarried to wonderful Christian people, and um, just reflecting on that and seeing God's kindness and His grace in our lives in so many ways, uh, I think w- were some of the formative moments in kind of me coming to, to know Jesus myself. Um, it was actually then when when I was on an FIC conference, they used to kind of host them yeah. in this caravan park in Caister, uh, in in the kind of wilds of Norfolk, um, and I remember sitting there as one of the kids in the program and Wes McNabb actually who's now at the, at the Slade in London uh, he was doing the talks that week I think for us and uh, w- became a Christian um, that, that evening and was once across through his ministry so. and that presumably was Bible teaching that Wes was doing f- for for the church family for the F- FIC family and yet the Lord used that evangelistically in your life is that right? Yeah absolutely just yeah. Bible teaching bread and butter Bible teaching for um for, for kids of that age and just to, to sit and listen to that. And I remember coming out and being in tears and convicted and um, and absolutely sure of my salvation even on that night as a 12-year-old, I think I was. Amazing. And and then back into that local church family and that, that was a good experience for you as, you as you grew up and around the church there? Yeah, it was a good experience and all the normal kind of ups and downs of teenage life as a Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't plain sailing by any means. Um, I was struck actually just kind of reflecting on my testimony recently. I was preaching on Ephesians 2 a couple of weeks ago and um, just that wonderful passage of you were dead, you were made alive in Christ by faith. Amazing. Um, and just, just thinking actually, you know, the, the temptation to think, oh, my testimony is a bit, a bit ordinary um, or, or a, bit, a bit boring. Um, you know, there's not the kind of glitz and glamour of I was once, you know, um, really down in the dumps, but actually just yeah. to reflect on the fact that, you know, it's, it's quite clear you were dead. Yeah. Um, but now you've been brought alive by grace. Um, and just to reflect on the fact that it's all of our testimonies for those who are in Christ. Uh, um, there's no, su- there's no, su- no such thing as a, a boring story. We were we were wrath magnets by nature, and now that has been turned mm-hmm. away and the Lord Jesus has borne it for us. It is, it's thrilling mm-hmm. to, to be reminded of that, isn't it? What did you want to do um, in your sort of mid-teen critical years as you were thinking about leaving school and going into study? What what was in your mind at that point? I think, in honesty, I was torn. Um, my The worldly part of my desires wanted to go into secular work, not not because that was worldly in and of itself, but because probably because I wanted to go and make lots of money. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and so I felt the kind of pull of that, but at the same time, I was doing a bit of stuff within the context of the local church, um, serving in, in the youth group uh, in, with the kids' work, and um, and started doing a bit of preaching in my kind of later teenage years. And I just I felt a, just the kind of prompting 
even at that age, a, a sort of seed of a, uh, an idea and a desire to to consider pay gospel ministry in the future. Um, but it was, you know, it was early days. But I certainly, looking back on that, I sense that that was a time that God was beginning to kind of form those those desires in me um, even then. Uh, and and I, I mean, to have the privilege of, of being able to preach at that age, uh, kind of 17, 18, yeah. looking back on that, that was kind of hugely formative for me. And I think I'm so thankful in hindsight of, for the local elders in that church for letting me have a go because no, no doubt the sermons were pretty ropey um but but to, to kind of be able to say no look we'd love to kind of to to see you trained in that and, and equipped in that um i think my first sermon was on romans 11 wow. which was probably still the hardest passage i've ever had to preach on um and thankfully i'm pretty sure it wasn't recorded uh but um you know just just to have those kind of opportunities at a young age I think was was helpful for me in kind of thinking about the future and that sort of thing. Fantastic. So great to hear about those elders in the the local FIC church there giving you opportunities as a young man and how the Lord used that is is just thrilling to hear. But there were there others who had a, a significant influence in your life then and perhaps even over the years that at this point uh, we might just want to hear a little bit about those about them. Mm, I think I certainly. I mean, I can think of a few guys off the top of my head. My dad, unquestionably, um, had an enormous influence on me. I mean, both growing up and now. I think he, you know, he's a guy. He's never gone down the route of paid gospel ministry. Uh, he's kind of works has worked um, hard and long hours in in the corporate sector for a long time. But uh, would would preach occasionally in church. The bookshelves at home would be full of full of commentaries and and Christian books, and so that encouraged me to read. Um, and then just to see him, I guess even though he had this full-time busy job uh, when he'd preach, you know, uh, occasionally just to sit and labor at his desk at the text, trying to work yeah. out what it was saying. And then to, to stand up and preach on a Sunday and to sit and listen to that as a, as a, even as a young child and to see your dad kind of modeling that. Um, I think that encouraged me. And then even though, you know, he's, he's a source of immense wisdom and encouragement for me. And I don't want to take it for granted, you know, the idea of having a That's right. a god a godly earthly father who whose chief desire is to point me to my heavenly father is an immense privilege and a challenge to me now as a dad to want to kind of yeah. seek to do that for my own children. Um so certainly my dad, I think somebody else um who I've never met, unfortunately, uh, but I will do in glory, is is Jim Elliott. And oh, yeah. um I I just remember reading uh, Shadow of the Almighty which is kind of Elizabeth Elliot's bio of of Jim, but it's mainly Jim Elliot's biography entries. You know, I remember reading that when I was twenty one, uh, and that was probably the, the book that God used to to shift me away from pursuing a career in finance and into kind of paid gospel ministry. Um, I think at the time I was, even as I was reading it, I think I was I was doing an internship at JP Morgan, and I was you know I was really seriously thinking about um, kind of pursuing that as a as a as a graduate career. Uh, and I read this book and just remember pouring over it, utterly amazed at this guy who, you know, if you know anything about Jim Elliot, he had the world at his feet. Um, yeah. And he chose to say no to all these other sorts of things because he just wanted to go and tell people about Jesus. And he, you know, even went to his death um, to, to seek to reach these Orca Indians in Ecuador. And I found it utterly compelling that this guy in his 20s would would think like that. And I think that was the, probably the, the kind of shift for me. Um, I remember, you know, one of the quotes that stands out to me um, that that he wrote in one of his diaries, and I think he wrote this as a 19-year-old, was to say, our young men are going into the professional fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We must begin thinking in terms of going out and stop our weeping because they won't come in. 
And I, th- I think I read that and I thought, oh, goodness me, like, you know, that just felt like a summons to go. Um, and so, I, you know, that kind of Jim Elliott's influence on my life is And that was, that was a season when you'd, you'd done your social sciences at, South, at Southampton, is that right? Yeah, so I was halfway through my economics and management yeah. degree in yeah. Southampton. Um, you know, I'd done a bit of working up in the city uh, prior to that. I was kind of doing some various internship options. Um, yeah. But just right at that moment, God kind of tried, prompted me to read that book. And wow. that, was, that was certainly the thing that kind of pointed me in the direction of ministry. It's an interesting thing, this idea of a call, isn't it? Because there, mm. there is often a sense in which the Lord stirs people and 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 calls them. But I, I think it's good for us to be reminded that every believer is indwelt by a witnessing spirit, and mm. uh, and he he longs to make much of the Lord Jesus. And so, would you agree with that? That that we don't need to faff about too much with the idea of am I called? Yeah, you're called. You're definitely called to salvation. And definitely called to service. And off the back of that, who knows how the Lord might lead further. Is that your kind of take on that now, Tom? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what kind of Jim Elliott wrote there, you know, we don't need a call, we need a kick in the pants. It's just helpful. Just the kind of reminder of we can spend so much time faffing around thinking, um, you know, shall we, shan't we? And actually sometimes we just need to get up and go. And I say that kind of loosely, but you know what I mean. Amazing. And in... The present, who who is the big influence in life and ministry for you, would you say at the moment? Yeah, I think, I mean, undoubtedly, I've spent almost 10 years now, I think, in and around Dundonald's in southwest London. Yeah. Um, did my ministry training scheme here for a couple of years, went off and had a bit of time at college and then and then been back here uh, on staff for, for four years or so. And so, unsurprisingly, Richard Koken, who's the senior pastor here, has, has had an enormous influence on me, um, been privileged to kind of learn from him. Uh, and I mean, you know, Rich is obviously a guy who's well known for his um, creative drive, for his uh, gospel ambition with with commission and that sort of thing. But I think probably what's influenced me the most from working alongside him uh, has just been been able to see both his his genuine, heartfelt love and care for people, um, but also perhaps chiefly his heart for evangelism. You know, here's a guy who's leading a kind of fairly big church in London and and a network of churches. And really what he wants to do is tell people about Jesus. And he's just, you know, he, I think he would say, you know, he, he's not, it's not like he's seeing personal revival, like lots and lots of people coming to faith through what he's, um, through his, through his evangelism, but he's just having a go. And he's just constantly reminding the church family yeah. that he's just trying to have a go at 2 Timothy 4, doing the work of an evangelist, whether that's a conversation with an Uber right. driver or a chat with his barber. And um, just being able to see him model that as one of the senior leaders in the church has been a great reminder and encouragement to me and to the church family of of just having a go at everyday evangelism. That's great to hear. That balance of um, focus and drive and also genuine love for people in the church family and beyond the church family. Great, great things to be modelled by. Well, let's let's um, pause there for a moment and and stay in that area. Tell us a little bit about your route then into gospel work. You've described it to some degree, but we'd be interested to hear a little more about how the Lord really began to press between the that quotation in the book that you read by Jim Elliot and other influences. How, how did you end up at Dundonald and involved in this work? Yeah, I think, I mean, during university, I, I got to that point, I'd read the Jim Elliot biography and um, been chatting to various people and I began to think, okay, well, post-university, let's, let's explore what options there might be. And I looked at various things, perhaps doing some work with UCCF, 
and exploring that as an option or, or other kind of local church things. And it was actually my, my well, my wife now, then my girlfriend, who slightly out of the blue kind of suggested to me that I might go and chat to Richard about doing a ministry training role up here. Now, I, I didn't have a clue what Dundonald was. I thought it was in Ireland. Um, you know, I, 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 I didn't <laughs> have a clue. That's <laughs> yeah, right. The, the only time I'd ever seen Richard was kind of on the stage at the Albert Hall at the men's convention. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I'm not... Anyway, my my girlfriend suggested that it might be a good fit for me, and um, I drove up from. I remember driving up from Southampton one one after one Tuesday afternoon, and kind of my battered out Land Rover up to Rains Park, and uh, and just kind of sat and had a conversation with Richard for about half an hour or so, and um, and then I kind of walked out of the office and felt okay. Well, this looks like the next two years because uh, wow. and, and and that was the the beginning of a ministry training scheme here, and then here I am nine or ten years later. So really, it's my wife's felt that I'm now here. <laughs> <laughs> and was Josie already part of Dundonald at that point? No, she wasn't, amazingly. She was she was a nursery trainee down in Southampton with Orlando Sayer down in Christchurch Southampton right. at the time. Wow. Um, but um, th- th- there have been some links between the churches over the years, so uh, I think that was the connection. Oh, that was just um, one of these meant-to-be conversations. Um, exactly. I've saved that she actually wrote to me with, with the kind of, you know, she wrote it down. She wrote me a letter and saying, I think you should consider this as an option. So I've still got the letter on file, so it'll stay with me. That is how your heart must rejoice over that. A, a, a godly wife yeah, leading you like that. This is so helpful, just giving that, that encouragement. So you literally effectively went in not knowing what you were going to talk about and came out with the next couple of years of your life in pretty sharp focus. Yes. Uh, I mean, that, that's remarkable. How did Richard sort of pitch it to you? I mean, was there, was he, was he detecting in you uh, gifts and passion and abilities? And was he thinking this is going to be a good fit? I take it that, that was all going on there. Um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess so that would be for him to say, but certainly that it seemed to be a fit in terms of um, character and drive and, 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 uh, and hunger and appetite. And I wanted I was keen to learn. I'm still keen to learn, uh, and there happened to be a, a kind of need at the time to to help with the um, the, the older youth work in the church. So there was there was a kind of space there um, for somebody to come and fit in, and I'm glad that he was able to kind of take a punt on me in that respect because he didn't really know me that well. Um, so, but I'm thankful for that. Amazing. So you you began then uh, as a ministry trainee, and then you went off to Oak Hill. Is that right? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't the kind of initial plan. We, Josie and I we got married halfway through my ministry training scheme, and we were then there were kind of conversations about being involved in a kind of pioneer church planting scheme, which was just being started at the time in commission, and so we were kind of beginning some kind of conversations about that. But my wife's health at the time wasn't great; she had kind of recurring chronic fatigue, um, which was just made first year marriage quite difficult and and ministry at the time hard, um, and that that season actually led us to think actually maybe starting and trying to do some kind of pioneer plant thing probably won't be the wisest thing. And consequently we ended up going to Oak Hill um, in 2014, which in, in hindsight and in God's good providence was um, exactly the right thing for us. So, Brilliant. So how old were you then when you actually took on eldership responsibility, pastoral responsibility at Dundonald? When I came back post-college, um, I was 27. So I'm 31 now. Yeah, so we, we, we started back when I was 27. And did you feel the weight of that uh, as you began as, a, as a, a young pastor? I think one of the joys of working at Dundonald is um, there's, a, there's a substantial team. So I didn't feel isolated or out 
on my own, uh, which I think would have been hard as a younger guy. Uh, but I was surrounded by senior godly uh, elders, kind of lay elders, and also kind of godly pastors, um, which which was hugely helpful and formative, not only then, but also now, just as you kind of cut your teeth in ministry. Yeah. Um, so I was thankful for that. Marvellous. Well, I want to get to Dundonald and talk more about that um, wonderful plan that you have there. But um, I've heard you say, Tom, that you don't see yourself as a natural evangelist, uh, which I always think is a huge encouragement to the rest of us, that that we are called to do the work of the evangelist, as you quoted earlier on, 2 Timothy 4, 5, mm. irrespective of whether we think we're that guy or not. But I'd just be interested um, maybe for you to tease out your thinking on that distinction. What, what do you think are the hallmarks of an evangelist as opposed to those who are maybe not quite certain they're called to that particular role but believe mm. that they ought to be doing the work of the evangelist how do mm. you how do you weigh that up i think in my mind i'd always set the role of an evangelist as somebody who could seamlessly do two ways to live on the back of a napkin with somebody and and that was the kind of marker of whether you were gifted in evangelism whether you could kind of boldly go up to somebody at the bus stop and run through two ways yeah. to live with them um and so consequently i thought well I'm I'm not a natural evangelist because I can't do that. You know, I can't even remember what's in the boxes, let alone um, you know, be, be, able to, be able to talk through them. Uh, and I th- I think there are ap- evidently people who are very gifted for that. You know, I can think of guys in our church now who are there's just a boldness and a and a courage to them um, to just have a go, uh, regardless of kind of the kickback they might get uh, and that sort of thing. So I think some people are particularly gifted in that area and some of that's a character thing i think and a personality yep. thing um and that's okay and i think probably what's um just helped me over the last few years and certainly within the church as well is just thinking how can we just lower the bar a little bit um for, so that everybody feels like they can have a go just with with doing the work of an evangelist and i think i guess there's a couple of things firstly it's a bit like what felix has been chatting about in a previous episode just a just developing a love for the lost um, I'm so I talk about the quote from Moody all the time. You know that one where he's kind of looking out over the over Hyde Park, I think, and he's got a few curates with him when he's visiting, doing one of his missions, yeah. and he asks people to kind of describe what they see, and you know they describe the people in detail, and then they ask him what does he see, and he see, and he says, you know, I see thousands of people who are heading to hell unless they, you know, with tears coming down his face, unless they unless they know the Savior, and I think just seeking to foster that kind of love for the lost. So as I look around. London and all my local area I'm seeing um you know people who are dead in their sin Ephesians 2 um so kind of seeking to foster that sort of love for people and then also just lowering the bar in terms of just being willing to start a conversation and I'll talk about it in a bit in terms of what we're trying to do here in terms of the culture sure. um but just just trying to think okay well how can I just be helpful in terms of trying to move somebody along another notch in their journey you know I don't have to try and close the deal in every conversation um but but how can I just try and be helpful in in, in moving people along? Uh, just perhaps even that might just be starting a conversation with somebody just to get them thinking um, or putting a stone in their shoe as Greg Kugel writes in tactics. Yeah. Um, just yeah. to, just to, that might niggle away, that, that might kind of encourage them to ask some questions at another point. So just trying to lower the bar in those sorts of things, I think is helpful. And I, you know, listening to you today and just hearing how the Lord has been at work in your life, you, you're someone who obviously 
is you consider things, you think about things, you you work on process and so on. And we're going to hear just in a moment about about your role now at Dundonald and among the co-mission churches. But how have you developed, you, you've said some of this already, but in what particular ways have you developed a personal mission culture? We're all about that, a passion for life. Um, so before we go to the corporate side of it with the church family, uh, you on your own, maybe going back to childhood or to university or other things that have impacted upon you, what what have you found helpful in developing that? Mm. I mean, back to my childhood and, you know, even now, the absolute um, winsomeness and uh, plausibility of opening up your home to bring people in, I think, you know, was huge. I, I can remember people coming over to our home growing up who weren't Christians and just the the idea of bringing people in and sitting around the table and having food together and chatting together and loving people in that way um, was enormous in in uh, kind of seeking to develop a kind of a missional heart in that respect. Yeah. So um, seeking to kind of develop that and seeing hospitality as an amazing tool in evangelism um, in, in that sense. I, th- I think time at university inevitably helped. UCCF mission is, is just so clear about reaching students with the gospel uh, yeah. and having the privilege to be involved in the CU there. Um, in that in that mission, I think probably helped to kind of foster my heart in that desire to reach the lost. And then I think now, I mean, guy, different guys are helpful. Rico's just been so helpful in, in chatting to him and in books that he's written just on um, kind of little tips, you know, his idea of just writing down the names of people you're praying for, you're trying to yeah. reach, you know, having them written down in a, in a little book or the back of my journal and praying for them regularly. And then when they get converted, the joy of, um, being able to yeah. stick a stick a highlighter through their name or circling them or something, um, you know that that is that's such an encouragement. Um, now the, that's a challenge because there are inevitably more people being added to that list that I'm actually highlighting or crossing off. So uh, I think that that kind of thing's been helpful for me. Um, and I th- I think I remember Tim Keller. I think he t- either I heard it in a talk or he's written something on it, just talking about who have you got in the in the incubator. And I think that the, the, the trouble is we can. We can look out at our kind of um, the people that we know, and it can seem a vast mission field. And we think, well, how, how on earth am I even going to get started with this? Like, there's so many people who don't know the gospel. How am I even going to begin here? Um, and he just talks about kind of helpfully breaking our kind of categories of people down into different spheres. And so, you know, we might have a kind of family sphere and a neighborhood sphere and a, a, a workplace kind of a vocational sphere and a social sphere maybe. Um, so different kind of spheres that, that we're involved in. And then perhaps from those spheres, maybe one or two people from each who are kind of currently in the incubator, so to speak. So we've got one or two names from each of those categories who you're intentionally trying to seek to help move along on the journey. And for each of them, it would be different. It might just be praying for them. It might be, um, you know, for some of them, it might be giving them a bit of literature or, or a little booklet to read. It might be inviting them along to something. It might just be serving and, and loving them. Um, but trying to, think carefully about the different categories of people that we're we're involved with and engaging with and then thinking okay who from that are kind of in my little incubator at the moment and that might be kind of five or six names that we're being intentional with um i think helps give us focus or helps give me focus rather because otherwise i just feel overwhelmed with just you know the number of people on my street who don't know jesus um having some kind of focus i think has been helpful for us certainly tom that's enormously helpful i think to hear you speak about this is not rocket science. You know, this idea of a mission culture, it's not something you need a, a, a master's degree in. It's You need a notebook. You, you need a, a biblical view of the world um, and love enough for people to actually write their names down, be bringing them to our Heavenly Father so that he's at work in us towards them. 
Um, and, and that that is so helpful to hear that it is not any more complicated than that level of intentionality, a, a list of people from these various spheres of life that we would want to be seeing uh, influence with the gospel and then trusting God uh, sovereignly to do that work mm. and, and making mm. ourselves available to that. Very helpful indeed. Now, thinking about your role at Dundonald, obviously part of the co-mission church planting and church strengthening network in London. Um, it would be great if you could maybe outline for us the team ministry philosophy at Dundonald. Well, I know that you, you you mentioned already very helpfully that you benefited greatly uh, as a relatively young pastor from that. But how does that operate uh, at Dundonald? Mm, yeah, I'm, we, that, that's been a kind of a move that we've made over the last five, six, seven years um, away from uh, congregational pastors um, to a kind of more team-based structure. So there are four congregations that make up Dundonald. We meet at nine, 10.45, four and 6.30. And uh, historically, those congregations have each had a, a kind of separate congregational pastor. So they've kind of functioned as kind of autonomous little church congregations within the kind of bigger church family, um, which has benefits to it. And I think, But I think the, the drawback is that you've got um, four generalists trying to do everything so trying to think about evangelism, trying to write the small group material, trying to think about welcoming, trying to plan the Sunday gathering. Um, and it just, it, it, it's, I think it probably stifles, it stifles growth. It, it makes it harder to, um, to, to seek to kind of grow the church um, uh, because you've got four people basically trying to do the same thing. So what, what we've done is move to a more purpose-driven structure, which um, people will have kind of picked up on from, from other churches around the world. And, Therefore, we don't have congregational pastors anymore, but we kind of operate under this team-based ministry. So we we now have a, uh, a kind of seven ministry streams across the church family. Um, it, it fits under the acronym WITNESS, um, conveniently. Uh, and that stands for worship, um, which is mainly the Sunday gathering, but but some other things too. Uh, instruct, which is all our small group stuff. Um, train, network, which is looking out to kind of commission. Uh, evangelize. Um, which is what I'm overseeing, and then serve and support, which is our, our wider mission field stuff. And so those kind of other ministry streams that the church operates under, and each of those has a ministry lead um, who is responsible for overseeing the kind of strategy and the coordination of that ministry across all four of the congregations in the church. So this just to kind of help us with our direction. Um, so, so I, gone. sorry, when, when someone in, uh, say, the 1045 congregation, um, when they want to talk to an elder or a pastor, can they just go to anybody on the team or is there a particular sense in which they may have a group who have responsible, greater responsibility for them? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, I think it, it, it depends a bit about what it is. So if it's a, if it's related to a particular area of ministry, then, then yeah. going to that ministry leader would be the, would be the right way to go at each of the congregations as a senior elder who kind of is, is fixed for that congregation, who's responsible for the, for the kind of, um, the direction and pastoral oversight of that congregation yeah, in in collaboration with the with the with the um, with the ministry leaders uh, and I think you know putting a lot of weight and emphasis on the small group program as well and, and small group leaders so um, seeing that being the kind of first point of call for pastoral care um, as as things as things go on. I love that witness worship instruct train network evangelize serve support that's something to be thinking about now you've done a lot of thinking about the local church as a mission force. People going out, building relationships with people who don't know the Lord Jesus, that they might come to know him. How have you gone about that with your role um, at Dundonald? 
I think it's, I mean, it's worth saying we talk about mission culture. I know Passion for Life is kind of, you know, been talking lots on this podcast series and, and in blog posts about developing a mission culture. I guess it's worth reiterating that every every church has a mission culture, you know, regardless of kind of where you're coming from. So whether, you, whether you, you've kind of got a set program of events or whether you're doing lots of organic stuff, um, every church has a, a culture of mission. It's just, I guess, worth taking time to um, every sort Analyze. of to assess yeah. the health of it, yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of work out where you're at. I think for us at Dundonald, um, historically, we've we've had a, a kind of strong mission culture of of programmed, well resourced, events driven evangelism. Um, uh, going back many years, you know, we've kind of run big missions in Easter, that sort of thing, big big Christmas events. Um, I think what what we've tried to do over the last few years is just to not to shut that down by any means, but just to try and um, develop a bit more of a have a bit more of a balanced diet in terms of our evangelism, uh, and and consequently we've moved towards a, a kind of twin focus on both come and see, which is the kind of events based program driven course stuff ministry that we're doing, but also go and tell. So our kind of um, uh, strap line that we're trying kind of feeding everything through as a, as a ministry with evangelizers we want to uh, equip the church family to go and tell and invite the community to come and see so Lovely. those are that's our kind of twin focus for the ministry and everything we're doing is feeding through that matrix so when we run an event that comes under our kind of come and see program when we um, write some training material that's our go and tell stuff so that's the kind of our kind of focus for us um, and we want to do try and do both of those things well we don't want to necessarily overdo one at the expense of another because we see both both as being important in 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 our mission culture. So from um, moving from that that kind of programmed evangelism idea, did, just going back to these days, did you find them effective in terms of were the church family sufficiently engaged in the community that people were coming to the the, the come and see events? I think people were coming. Um, yeah. I think the danger is that if you if you solely rely on on the come and see events for your evangelism, then the temptation for the church family is to think of it as, as a bit of a tick box box exercise. Yeah. And if I've if I've invited a colleague or brought a mate or brought you know brought a neighbour along to a mission event, then that's kind of job done for the year, and I can go back to doing some other stuff. Yeah. Um, sure. no, that that wasn't the case wholesale across the church by any means, and, and lots of people have been doing lots of evangelism, personal evangelism for years here. But we just wanted to try and. Um, make it a bit more formal in terms of what I go and tell equipping program was, was like in that respect. Brilliant. And talking about, you use the phrase lowering the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been instrumental in developing a series called something better. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how it fits with that vision uh, to equip the church to go and tell. Yeah. Um, I think it was just birthed out of, um, wanting to provide resources for our church family to make it super easy for them to, or as easy as possible for them to both go and tell and also to invite people to come and see. So there's two things with that. Firstly, was the the something better sessions that we've wrote uh, that we've written rather, which is um, four evenings exploring humanity's pursuit of meaning, satisfaction, identity, and hope, and a chance to discover how Jesus holds out the offer of something better, and and so we we run those uh, after every kind of series of events we do and that's really the kind of on-ramp to somebody exploring the christian faith so we love using christianity explore we you know we we, we run that a couple of times a year um yeah. but as a precursor to that we run these something better sessions 
uh, as a as a means to kind of get people in the door, get people um, perhaps interested to then go on to explore Mark's gospel. With, with Give Steve. us the four things again there, in something better. Um, meaning, satisfaction, identity, and hope. Brilliant. So we're now we're now picturing people who are further upstream, and you're you're now trying to engage them at a level of things that are on their agenda, things that are of interest to them. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and and I think and I think we've seen we've seen that like in God's in God's kindness, we've seen people um, latch onto that because there is a sense in which they think actually I really am looking for meaning, yeah. like, particularly in this season. You know, we've had guys coming yeah. along who've you know been so shaken by what's going on, they're just like, well, you know, what is the point of all this? Um, and they are looking for concrete hope, and they are looking for a stable identity, and they are looking for something that genuinely satisfies. Um, so at that kind of felt need level. Um, it, I think it, it's been helpful to kind of appeal to people in that sense, but then holding out and saying, "Look, these are all the things you're looking for. This is how they're not going to they're not going to kind of tick the box. Let me show you how Jesus holds out something so much better." Um, and it just just begins to kind of whet their appetite. And then I, what we found is that they're in a place to say, "Of course, you know, let me get into Mark's gospel. I want to see this Jesus for myself." And whereas wow. previously, if you if you'd said to them come and sit, you know, and look yes. at Mark's gospel with us for six weeks, they'd have said, oh, that's not for me. Um, yeah. So it's just a kind of on-ramp for that, I think. Brilliant, brilliant. And then say a word maybe about um, the Better Life and Better Hero um, mm. booklets that you produce. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that that's the kind of, the kind of come and see lowering the bar we've been trying to do. The flip side with the kind of go and tell lowering the bar is, I think I've already kind of alluded to it, but we want to try and equip people so that they can just begin to start the conversation with somebody about Jesus. And, you know, there's a wealth of excellent one-to-one Bible reading resources out there, particularly something like Word One-to-One, which we've used lots here. But we just wanted to have something which was perhaps, again, a a bit more of an early early entry ramp um, to something like Word One-to-One. So they're kind of tiny little A6 booklets that are only about eight pages long with hardly, you know, not many words in at all, a short little passage from um, either Mark or John's gospel, and then just three simple questions. Uh, so you don't need any training to kind of have a go doing it. And they're, they're super cheap to produce. And we just bung them on, spung them on seats at carol services at events. And the line then after every event or, or carol service or whatever it is, is um, take this away and just start the conversation with somebody about, about Jesus. Um, and that might be a conversation that lasts five minutes on the bus. It might be, a half an hour conversation in the pub or in a cafe. Um, and, and again, often that's kind of a precursor to doing something like Word One to One or reading through Mark together or whatever it might be. Um, but it's just trying to lower the bar with the go and tell stuff so that everybody feels like they can have a bit of a go. So with the go and tell and come and see, um, you could comment on this, but it's as though you're, you're, you're trying to even out evangelism across the year rather than having special seasons of evangelism. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, we talk about trying to keep the mission heat high um, or kind of bubbling away the whole time. If you think about a kind of pan on the stove rather than, um, you know, whacking it up to full blast and kind of getting it really boiling for a certain season, then turning it right down to zero, just trying to keeping it on a, on a plain simmer for the whole time. So it's just a constant mission heat across the church family throughout the year. And that means, you know, that people always hopefully know that there's an event they can invite their friend to. They always know there's, you know, as soon as one series or course finishes, the next one's about to come up and it's going to start soon. Um, you know, it's just always on people's radars. Um, and that's not to say there's not a, a help to something like a kind of perhaps more intensive season of, of mission. Yep, Those things can be sure. can be really helpful too. Um, but we're just trying to keep the, the mission heat high uh, the whole time. 
I think that'll be a great encouragement to many listeners, Tom, because um, lots of us are finding that it's increasingly difficult to draw people into church life that they might hear the Bible being taught and, and, and know the Lord Jesus. It just seems to be getting tougher all the time. Do you have any thoughts on why that is the case, culturally speaking? Yeah, I mean, I think culturally, I guess there's two things. We, we don't have the kind of big, people generally don't have the kind of big questions that are haunting them about the Christian faith anymore. So they're not sitting there thinking, why does God allow suffering? Or um, can I really trust the Bible? Or, you know, all the kind of classical apologetics yeah, questions sure. that might have been the defeated beliefs in the past that probably not certainly at entry level the same things that people are wrestling with um so i think that's a, a kind of barrier to entry into into church i mean the big thing Stephen mcalpine's book on being the bad guys that he's written um kind of that puts his finger on the pulse in terms of we're seen as threatening so it's not just that we're kind of irrelevant anymore but we're actually immoral you know we're dangerous um so i think that's a that's a huge hurdle for people to get over just to kind of come come through the doors um which is why you know being out and about in our local community and um, just being the light of Christ in our local areas and being kind and being loving and being generous and being warm and bringing people into our homes and all those things. Are just That's the kind of entry point to then bringing people through the door of church. But the aim being definitely getting people into church on a Sunday. We've you know, we found, looking back over the last few years, certainly pre-COVID, I think everybody who came to faith uh, in the, you know, the last kind of couple of years had been coming to church regularly for at least three months, um, just mm-hmm. hearing the hearing the word preached. And so the end goal with all of that, with with both come and see and go and tell, is to get people in the door on a Sunday. Um, and I think there's something, isn't there, just about kind of coming and uh, just seeing the plausibility of the gathered community, just seeing okay, here's a bunch of ordinary, normal, broken people from all sorts of walks of life yeah. who come together, and there's a there's a there's a genuine joy here. There's a genuine love for one another. Um, and people can't understand that and then they sit and they hear the bible taught and if especially if they come for for um for a period of time that's been the been the place in which we've seen people come into faith so i think bringing people into church has to be the the kind of end goal in it how has the take up been among the church family i mean are you encouraged by the response you've seen to these initiatives Uh, yeah i mean i think so i think it's it's just um it's just an ongoing thing you know which like i said we want to keep the mission heat high so it's all very well to kind of rest on your laurels and say, oh yeah, that, you know, that, that initiative or that course really took off or whatever. But then, you know, the following month comes around and there's still a whole bunch of people that haven't heard the gospel. And so you keep, you know, you keep going. It's an all of life thing, isn't it? So, um, but, but yes, been, been encouraged to see, um, particularly with the, the little booklets, the better hero, better life, just people who perhaps in the past might've said, you know, this this is too daunting for me to do. You know, I could never sit down and kind of read the Bible with somebody who's not a Christian just to hear them say, actually, yeah, I'm just having a go. You know, hearing people say, yeah, we kind of took a whole bunch, I took a whole bunch of them on a whole day to read with my family who aren't Christians. And Brilliant. that's been an immense encouragement. And I think because they're cheap to produce, you know, we can just, we, can, we just stick a big pile of them at the back of church and, you know, they're always there. So the church family know that they're always there to kind of freely take as many as they want to just go and start a conversation with somebody. So, um yeah we've been encouraged but hey i mean it's 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 an ongoing challenge because you know you know i find that in my own heart it's easy to um to 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 not want to do the work in evangelist because it's can be scary and it's and it's hard work so it's an ongoing challenge we do fear the rejection absolutely yeah that's great i love the resource it's it's tremendous and it's it's just beautiful to hear how you've you've taken that desire to get people into the Word of God and you've made it more manageable, you've produced something that helps people 
into the shallows, as it were, and and hopefully gives them a taste for that experience and and sees them moving on into um, loving the Word of God and meeting the Lord Jesus there. Tremendous. Now, Tom, I know that as well as <clears throat> sharing the gospel individually and training the church family in that work, you also have a a, a passion for the proclamation of God's Word, for preaching the Word uh, on the Lord's Day to to the assembly of His people. How did that develop? And maybe say a word about how you understand the work of preaching and how it fires you. I think I was fortunate to, in the church I grew up in, um, to be uh, given the opportunity, even at a kind of young age, 17, 18, to, to kind of cut my teeth in preaching, um, even though undoubtedly those sermons in my late teenage years were um, not ones to re-listen to now. Uh, I think, you know, I think I'm pretty sure the first sermon I preached was on was on Romans 11 and um <laughs> and it was uh, brutally difficult and thankfully it wasn't recorded um but but just to have that opportunity at a young age I think was was helpful for me and I think certainly kind of began to stoke the fire of of, of a desire to to preach um and that's just been honed and and, and developed and channeled over the time I'm so thankful for for people who've helpfully um sharpened me in that and, and trained me in that um over the years different influences different um, personalities and characters uh, and, and thankful now to have you know even though we're kind of team-based ministry um the four there are four pastors you know we we kind of share the preaching between us and yeah. thankful for the opportunity to, to preach bread and butter preaching week in week out just working through books of the bible it's, my, it's, a, it's a joy and i mean obviously uh we we've touched a little bit on the complexities of the culture and so on uh I mean, I guess most of us listening to this I firmly believe that we're biblically mandated to open up the Word of God and proclaim it, to publicly expound it. But how do you see that fitting with the modern generation? I mean, are you still convinced this has a, a role to play in in uh, getting the Word of God out there? Um, absolutely, because because we're called to um, so preach the Word in season and out of season. But... Uh, I think there's something compelling for people if it's not done in a way that's fake to see people who really believe what they're saying. Um, and so when you're preaching, you know, it's not, it's not the lecture, you know, in the, in the classroom. Um, it, it is, it is public um, affection stirring proclamation of the word of God. And I, th I think, you know, reflecting on how non-believers who've kind of sat in church um, and listened to, to not just my preaching but, but preaching of the other pastors here just they talk about actually you, you know i can tell that you really believe what you're saying and there's something compelling for people in that that this isn't just a um a kind of a, a textbook lecture but it, it is a it is from it's from the heart it's preaching from the heart um uh, and and that that being evidence people of of um of the truth of what's being said i think so that that's a Big thing, I think, for us in our preaching. Glorious. Tom, um, lastly, the aim of a passion for life is obviously uh, as we long to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus proclaimed in every community to every generation across the UK and Ireland. And uh, you're involved in that very work uh, in lots of ways. What are your hopes for a passion for life? Mm. I think for us as a particularly for us as a church at Dundonald, I think uh, after 18 months or so of not being able to really run any come and see events, we are, we are looking forward with some anticipation to a season of good willing 
um, being able to, to to kind of run a, a kind of program of mission next Easter, and I think that will be great for our local community. We're actually moving back into a, into a new building that's been built over the last couple of years, so um, at a kind of similar time. So uh, we're looking forward to that season of, of hopefully lots of people from the community wanting to just come and see and have a look and, and a passion for life. That the actual mission uh, in March, April next year will be will be helpful for that. Um, I think probably though more than that is the the kind of second strap line of a passion for life so it's uniting churches for a month of mission uh, and equipping people for a lifetime of evangelism that that idea of of, of this being a lifetime of evangelism we want to equip people for this is not a flash in the pan mission job done box tick move on to the next kind of thing in our in our diaries and um, you know I guess with a passion for life generally nationally but also for us locally at a church level and across London we'd love this to be a, a catalyst for just um, raising the mission heat generally in our local churches uh, that, that that kind of carries on into the future. Um, so, you know, I've got the privilege of being able to work a day a week um, uh, for the London Gospel Partnership, thinking about how we kind of drive and, and champion a passion for life over the next over this next year or so. And you know, we're we're looking to try and see churches from all thirty two boroughs. Uh, involved in this so we can you know we can genuinely say that this is a city-wide mission um going out to reach the lost and i think you know something for uh, in terms of that kind of lifestyle of lifetime of evangelism um one thing that we'd love to do with the with the gospel partnership is just develop it to be a place where mission is just regularly on the agenda so again it's not a kind of um a flash in the pan mission but that a passion for life is 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 we hope and pray the, the catalyst to just regular praying for the lost in london and regular training for reaching people in london with the gospel um and that just being always on the agenda not just when a passion for life rolls around every four years but um just just kind of constantly part of our dialogue and conversation so you know we're we're, we're praying that this a passion for life initiative this time around will be the the trigger for that um across london so you can see and churches come together for that well may that be true in london and maybe true across the uk and ireland Tom, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. We thank the Lord for you. We want to pray his continued protection of and provision for the work of the gospel at Dundonald and across the Commission Network and your ministry with A Passion for Life and the London Gospel Partnership. And thank you so much for listening. We hope it has encouraged you and that you'll join us again on this podcast from A Passion for Life. Please do check out apassionforlife.org.uk for more information and details. But for now, Goodbye and the Lord bless you.